I'm David Smith, and you're listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. In this series, we'll be talking with researchers and educators who are working to understand how Christian faith affects teaching, learning, and the way we do education. With me today, I've got uh, Matthew Kamink, uh, who is the Richard John Mao Chair of Faith and Public Life at Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, where he directs the Mao Institute of Faith and Public Life. Uh, he's been a prolific author the last few years with uh, with books out on work and worship, on reformed public theology, and perhaps closest to uh, today's discussion, uh, a book on Christian hospitality and Muslim immigration in an age of fear. And uh, part of the the connection with uh, with Matt is that Matt was also one of our team on the Civic Hospitality Project, uh, in which we've been connecting the idea of Christian hospitality to civics education. So hoping to have a conversation about theology and hospitality and how that might get us to civics. So thank you for being with us. Oh, it's great to great to be back in in this conversation. Looking forward to it. So, um, so just to start with, just to, to let people maybe get to know you a little if they if they haven't encountered your work before, um, just you, you describe yourself as a public theologian. What is what? What do you take that to mean? What are you What are you trying to address? Yeah, so I, I think of public theology as um, thinking publicly uh, about the consequences of the resurrection of Jesus. We're coming up on Easter as we record this. So what are the public consequences of my faith in Jesus? How does it influence and shape the way in which I interact with, with politics and economics, with the arts and culture, um, how I behave out in the world? And so what do we know about God? What has God done? What is God doing? And how might that shape our public posture and practices with uh, the many different sorts of people and issues that we engage in in public life. So, so what drew you to hospitality as a major theological theme to pull into that? Yeah, I well, Islam and Muslim immigration has been a part of my story for a, a long time. I came up in college uh, when 9-11 happened and was a political science major, and so I was thinking a lot about issues of faith and politics and how do Christians engage politics, and then um, you know, through 9-11 and the Iraq war, there was a lot of discussions going on about how should America relate to Muslims? How should Christians relate? And um, I found myself somewhat <clears throat> um, unconvinced by the sort of classic right-wing and left-wing responses to issues of immigration and to issues of sort of Christian-Muslim engagement. And um, thought that you know, in a post 9-11 world, the Christian church in America and in Europe is really going to have to wrestle with how do we share our public spaces um, rather than dominate our public spaces? And um, how do we think about the, the use of political power, military power, um, and other kinds of cultural power in spaces where Christians are no longer dominant? And um, yeah, so that was a big part of my own story and in, in wrestling with those kinds of things and um, have made a lot of relationships with Muslim colleagues um, through my research and, and my writing and had, I think finally have encountered a number of churches and Christian ministries who have opened themselves up to vulnerable relationship with Muslims. 
and who have experienced real transformation through that opening up rather than having a posture of sort of fight or flight um, with their Muslim neighbors, they, they've opened themselves up and have experienced a sort of uh, spiritual and cultural renewal. And that's been impactful for me to see. Something that really fascinated me in your, your book on, uh, on, on Muslim immigration and hospitality was the way you invite us to play with the full range of images that are connected to Jesus. Um, if I could just pull a sentence, um, it's a little invidious to pull a sentence out at random, especially. I'm, I'm sure you remember exactly what's on page 160 <laughs> of your book. Uh, but uh, uh, you wrote, uh, Jesus is depicted in the Gospels not only as a king, but also as a prophet, a servant, a friend, healer, reconciler, liberator, advocate for the weak, teacher, priest, dinner host. It follows, therefore, that those who follow this more complex picture of Christ are called to live public lives, not simply of justice and liberty, but lives of reconciliation, friendship, vulnerability, service, healing, liberation, hospitality, and grace. Um, it, it seemed like part of what you were what you were aiming to do here was was partly just make the picture bigger, right? To say if you're too fixated on Jesus as King, Jesus as Lord, um, you're missing other pictures of who Jesus is, and then to think through the consequences of all of them, and that also kind of brings in hospitality alongside rulership as a uh, as an image. I mean, it's, just reflect on what you were trying to do with that 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 opening up of metaphors. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think often when you when Christians think and speak about public life, they tend to get really excited about one meta metaphor or another, right? So it's all about Christian service, or it's all about Christian witness, or it's all about Christian justice. So they they grab one metaphor or, or one word, um, and they pull it out of scripture, and then they apply it to everything. And... Um, <clears throat> I think for Christians in public life who've spent any sort of sustained time in public life or public service, they quickly recognize just how complex it is to navigate a city like New York or a city like Washington, D.C., and the complexity of the racial uh, conflicts, the religious conflicts, the cultural and economic conflicts, just the complexity of the city, the complexity of public life can overwhelm a Christian. And they quickly recognize that their, their single sentence or their single metaphor doesn't capture, oh, what does it mean to walk through Washington, D.C. or Chicago as a Christian? Um, and so they need a more complex Jesus. Um, and that that is really what I'm trying to get after there is um, we need to give uh, young people who are training for public lives um, a rich and complex understanding of what Christ calls us to and what Christ calls us to be. And the metaphor of hospitality, as you brought up there, is a big one. It certainly can't be the only one, as we just said, but right. it 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 is meant to... Um, it is meant to signal a, a shift in posture from sort of uh, the royal kingship of Christ to the sense of uh, a posture of opening oneself up. You know, when whenever we encounter difference out in the city or out in the world, we tend to tighten up. Uh, we we ball up our fists, our shoulders come up, our neck comes down, and we we get ready to either fight or or run away, whatever that difference is, and. 
um, what's interesting where, you know, as we approach Holy Week, the posture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, it's dark that people are coming with clubs and torches to, um, to attack and to take him away. And there's, there's shouting and fighting and confusion so much, <laughs> so much like our political life today, right? Darkness, shouting, confusion, fear, and fighting. Um, and yet the posture that Jesus takes in that moment um, is that he extends out um, his hand and it is, it is unarmed and it's vulnerable. And he actually heals the person who's come to take him, um, who's been injured. And that's the disruptive thing in that story, right? You have some soldiers want, some of the disciples want to fight, some of them run away, and yet Jesus models an alternative posture. Um, and that's really what we've been talking about with this class with civic education mm-hmm. and civic hospitality is how can you, um, you know, raise up students who will go out into public life and into political conversations where there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of sort of running away who are willing to have those difficult public conversations and are willing to be vulnerable and to demonstrate some level of hospitality towards perspectives that are difficult for them. And, um, and yeah, that's really what we were trying to get after in the project. Yeah. Something I'd regularly run into with, 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 with different people is this sense that if you start talking about hospitality, about opening things up, about vulnerability, there's, there's, a, there's an immediate fear that you might actually be kind of giving up your Christianity if you start to make that kind of space, right? That if you don't kind of uh, stuff the ramparts um, <laughs> and kind of, you know, hold the line, keep the boundary, whatever it is, right? That you're, you're, you're somehow betraying the cause or you're, you're somehow, I don't know, letting the side down or, or maybe it's a fear that if I, if I actually kind of, you know, I open the door, it's going to turn out I'm, I'm not as secure as I thought I was. I don't know. I'm not sure whether it's the same thing driving it all the time, but there's just this feeling that somehow vulnerability or hospitality or opening things up is a concession that somehow dilutes your Christianity. Whereas I, th- yeah. I think you're saying the opposite to, uh, to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> to just continue that story, um, when you have some of the disciples run away, some of them, some of them flee, some of them fight. Who in that story demonstrated the most strength and secure um, sense of identity. It was actually Jesus. It was not those who fought or fled. Um, hospitality and vulnerability can actually be the, a sign of strength, of deep strength, and can actually be much harder than, than fight or flight. And I think that's what we find in the person of Jesus is someone who you know, does, not, does not apologize for who he is or what he's saying. Right, he he speaks sometimes very hard truth, um, and yet his presence is one of grace and humility, and I think we see that in that particular episode with Jesus, but in many others, where um, he he does not assimilate to the culture the culture around him, but he also connects with it with true grace and mercy, um, and I think that's you know. That's a, that's a model for for those of us who follow who follow him. Mm-hmm. You can tell me whether this is just me or whether this actually reflects how how the wider conversation has developed. But I, I started reading about. 
theology and hospitality maybe 25 years ago. And and the first stuff that I found, um, like my first impression, if you like, was that it was pretty much, it, it kind of belonged in ethics. And I found it in Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 19, and I found it in the prophets. And and there's, you know, Hebrews don't forget to, to welcome strangers and so on. But it was kind of like this, this ethical strand through scripture. And the more I've read and the more recent things I've read, when I read books like Your Own or Joshua Jip uh, recently, um, it, it feels like it's getting driven closer to the heart of things. This is about Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus did, not just about one of the ethical requirements of the law that got carried through into the New Testament. Is, 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 that, is that fair as a trajectory? Yeah, yeah. So the I would say that that's absolutely true, that we're beginning to sort of, as we read scripture with this lens, we're beginning to see that uh, God's very self um, is hospitable from the very beginning, that in Genesis 1 and 2, God is creating space um, where there is no space. He's, he's out of his um, overabundant love and creativity, um, is making space um, for that which is not himself. And then throughout scripture, he is making a way, he is making space for the people of Israel and um, for the orphans and the widows and the foreigners within Israel. He's making safe space there. And then in the disciples and in the church, he's making space once again for all nations, tongues and tribes, um, men and women, rich and poor, um, to experience and know him. So I think theologians are really leaning into this understanding that our God is a space-making deity, and on the cross, he is making space for us and is including us in that space-making mission. And so um, the way I like to talk about it is that um, Christ made space for me and, and purchased me um, for that mission of space making for others. So if I don't make space for others, I'm denying the space that was made for me. And, mm-hmm. and so ethics, ethics comes out of this much longer reflection on who God is and what God is doing in the world. Think things start to chain together. It's like all the, all these, all these meals that Jesus is having people in the gospels, right? How he's this figure of great sanctity and yet just about anybody can have lunch with him and he's not bothered right and it's uh, there's that there's that sort of wonderful duality going on all the way up to you know the cross itself as a you know the arms spread wide um it's just fascinating to me how all these things have started chaining up oh yeah i mean you just have this cataclysmic holy week with all of these massive you know religious political violent things happening and then afterwards you know he is he's resurrected and then he's just having a meal you know he he meets his friends on the way to Emmaus and he has a meal with his friends on the beach and there's this sense that like these this world altering event has happened and Jesus just wants to you know hang out <laughs> <laughs> he just wants a meal yeah. and he's like and really that's what this all was about the whole thing yeah. was about community around a table and yeah. reconnecting with God and with others, that's what the whole thing was about. And and so even eschatologically, it's about a feast um, and a, a banquet table that it, that is overflowing. Um, and that's so th- that's how we're sort of 
as theologians reflecting more and more on that in scripture. Yeah. So somehow we persuaded you to become part of this, uh, this, this curriculum project to work in, in yeah. civics education for schools. Um, so, you know, if we think of high school students studying civics, learning what it means to be a participant in a society where not everybody agrees, where not everybody's the same, where we've got procedures and systems and, and a bit of history and so on. How is this, how is Jesus meal on the beach? How is this hospitality frame? How, how do you see that helping us to think about that kind of enterprise? Right. So, I mean, obviously, you know, historically, civics courses have been focused on, you know, learning how a bill becomes a law, learning what your rights are, what are the processes for for voting and constitutions, and um, helping students understand the nuts and bolts of civics, politics, and the political process, which, of course, all of that is extremely important. But what I feel like we're really getting after is less... Um, the political nuts and bolts and more the political posture that we want students to assume when they engage their fellow citizens, right? Being able to give them a move that is different from just fight or flight, helping them to understand that there is a third way to engage in um, Christian political discourse that is not one of those two. So Here's another move <laughs> and a move that that Christ offers us. Um, and that is that's my take as to what we're really getting after. Mm-hmm. I think one of the gifts you gave us in the team was was this way of thinking about postures, right? You know, the raised fist or the extended hand or the, um, and and a, another one that I've heard really positive feedback from some teachers and students uh, about as they've started using the resource is, the imagery that you you thought through for us around tables and walls and doors and 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 just sort of kind of how buildings work with hospitality. So, talk about how that works. Sure. Yeah. So, if we think about politics as as a home, as how we organize our home, we are our national home here in the United States. Um, politics is really a debate over um, how do you organize, how do you decorate. Um, and how do you distribute resources within a home? And what are your priorities? And um, in any political space, you have a variety of voices. Um, one set of voices often wants to focus on the walls of the home, which is sort of metaphorically um, security, safety, law, order, justice. Um, and for these voices, uh, security is is the number one responsibility for a state, and um, that is what the state should be designed to do, and it should be designed to keep out anyone who would disrupt that law, order, and whatnot. You, then you have another set of voices who are less concerned with the walls and security and more concerned with the state being um, open and generous, and so we might talk about them being focused on sort of the open door as opposed to the high wall. And they want the state to to offer um, a wide variety of services and protections and um, aid for any and all who would come. And they think that is ultimately what the state is for. The state should be focused on on welcoming and dispensing. And um, 
And of course, both of these sides are correct in very important ways, right? The, the purpose of a house is the provision of security and the provision of, of goods and services. Um, however, the ultimate end of this home and the ultimate end of politics, I would argue, is what happens around a table. Um, the, it's really the table that is the, the heart of the house and, and what it's all about. Um, and being around a table is difficult, right? Being around a, a table with a lot of people who are different than you, who have different opinions, different lifestyles, um, it's hard to stay at the table with people who are different than you. And I would argue that those two voices that I talked about, the, the voices that emphasize walls or the, the emph- those that emphasize open doors, both sides really struggle to sit at a table with deep difference. They, they struggle to be with one another. They struggle to hear one another. Um, and um, ultimately, many times, they genuinely don't like or appreciate one another at all. And um, here in America, we have a lot of institutions that have designed themselves to buttress either one side or the other. But we don't have a lot of institutions that have invested in this sort of table-making enterprise of actually living together with deep difference. And what I would argue is that Jesus provides us with a way, a model, and most importantly, a cross that enables us to sit at a table with deep difference. And as... um, democracy is challenged around the world, and particularly here in the United States, um, I have a real conviction that Christians are called, are being called by God to sit at the, sit at the table and stay at the table and invite others to come as well with the, the sort of hospitality that Jesus models of hard truth uh, and real grace and that is um, that's a political calling and a responsibility um, that I would argue, you know, Christian education needs to be focused on, which is how can we raise up young children and 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 young adults to um, to model a, a civic hospitality, a political hospitality towards those who are different than them. And that's a fun pedagogical challenge. And it was really fun to work with you thinking through how do you develop a classroom and a civics class that could actually do that, you know? Mm-hmm. I, it, it feels to me like this this connects probably quite intimately with something you said earlier that really resonated with me about young people needing um, a sufficiently complex picture of Jesus uh, to be able to handle a complex reality. And it, it made me think of, um, a past student who I had in my office some years ago, just very distressed uh, because they were wrestling with simultaneously feeling very called to go serve in public schools. And yet, um, I, I would say in, in the terms of just used, had a very dominant metaphor of witness as how you how you worked out your Christianity and clearly wasn't going to be allowed to witness in certain ways in, in a public school classroom. And so couldn't square that, right? Was, was, right. was like, but, but, but I want to be a public school teacher, but I want to be a Christian and I can't, you know, and, and, and sort of couldn't make this go together. And um, uh, I, I remember one of the things we, we talked about is, is, is something I said that seemed to help at least temporarily was, was 
you know, when people, when Christians sheltered Jews in, in Europe in during World War II, do you think they asked them about their Christology before they welcomed them into the house and put the, like, that doesn't have to be the first conversation, right? <laughs> it's kind of like, there are other, there are other avenues here. So, so what you said, they really resonated with me. I think it's absolutely true. I think there are many young people, I see them in my own classroom, who have got a bit of a one note a uh, sense of who Jesus might be, what being Christian might be, and need that to be opened up a bit. And that just strikes me as necessary to support what you just described, that if we're going to come to the table, if we're going to spend time with people who are different, if we're going to do that with integrity, if we can only whistle a one-note tune, we're probably not going to be very good at that. So it, it, that just feels to me like it connects. Absolutely. And and you don't want to be graduating students who are going to be brittle. In public, mm-hmm. in public life, um, they need to be able to play more than one note, right? They need to be responsive um, and to develop that kind of resilience for political conversations because they're hard, right? It's so much easier to either run away or fight. Um, it is so much harder to develop uh, a character that can sit down at the table and stick with it, even when, you know, confusion and, and frustration uh, come. And that's a great pedagogical challenge, but you're right. We do need, um, uh, a more complex Jesus. And, and we find, we find that more complex Jesus in the gospels. If we're willing to pay attention and listen and see all of what he's doing and all of what he's calling us to. It's been a great chat. Just about time to wrap up. Um, anything you're working on right now? What can we, what can we hope for from you next? Oh man. Um, yeah, I think, uh, right now I'm, um, leading a podcast with a Muslim colleague. His name is Shadi Hamid. Um, and the podcast is called Zealots at the Gate. And we discuss, uh, religion and politics together. Uh, last week we discussed the connection between prayer and politics. Um, he as a Muslim, me as a Christian. And then, uh, let's see this, this next week we'll be talking about fasting, um, because it's, it's Ramadan right now. So yeah, we're we're working on a on a book together about religion and politics in uh, Islam and Christianity. So yeah, stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for the conversation. Thank you for spending the time. A real pleasure, a real pleasure, and and I'm grateful to be a part of this uh, civics hospitality project. It was great to work with you, David. Yeah, and if you haven't seen the resources yet, and you want to check out what came out of the project, um, civichospitality.com is where you can find the lesson plans, the background essays, the the resources around uh, this project. You've been listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. Learn more at www.pedagogy.net.